Che, you did a good job. We're going to give you a raise, about a 100% raise. 100% times zero is zero, by the way. Uh, I want to welcome all the Jenkins clan. Where have you been? <laughs> Things are happening in that family. But anyway, you can talk to, to them afterwards. We're in Genesis chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the last two verses of chapter 4, 25 and 26. And last week we looked at the character Lamech. And we looked at his boastings and how he declared to his wives, and he had two wives, the first polygamist was Lamech. And he said to his wife, if anybody hurts me, I will kill them. Hmm, pretty, pretty strong. In fact, my wives, if a young man were to assume he could hurt me or wound me, he's a dead man. Now, Lamech is saying this to his wives. And how often our wives must listen to the boastings of their insecure husbands. <laughs> Years ago, Lori and I were in the foothills of Northern California in what they call gold country. And we stopped by at a yard sale and we begin to visit with this fellow having the yard sale, and he was an older man, and he had a bunch of junk there, but, you know, we got to talking to him. And in front of his wife, he began to tell what a character he had been in his younger days. He had been a prospector for gold, and he did have a gold mine, a big hole in the ground on his property, which he showed us. And then he began to speak of his great conquest of the ladies in his younger days. And I'm thinking to myself how inappropriate his boasting is in front of his wife. And so I looked over at her, and she's not paying any attention to him whatsoever. Perhaps she had heard his song before. <laughs> Which brings me to a point here. I have great difficulty convincing Lori what a great catch she has made. <laughs> so you ladies, you make sure that us, your insecure husbands, know how lucky we are. <laughs> For many of us husbands, though, our ego is uh, way overinflated. Lamech, he's reduced to boasting to his wives in verses 23 and 24, Ada and Zillah. These wives probably looked at each other and said, who is our husband talking about? <laughs> but anyway, let's move on to verses 25 and 26 of chapter 4 of Genesis. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God had appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, 
To him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. In this short two-verse passage, we go from hearing of the listings and the accomplishments of Cain's and all of his descendants, and we come down to Seth. Seth, the replacement of the murdered Abel. Seth, which means appointed or substitute. Eve and Adam have displayed faith in God by naming Seth, Seth. Eve and Adam see Seth as the promised seed of Eve. And in their minds, this child might be the Messiah. And then we're introduced to Enoch. And Enoch means mortal frailty. Enoch and his generation, and it says, and they begin to call on the name of the Lord. Many believe this is the beginning of what we call corporate worship, like we're doing here this morning. Up until Enoch, each man would sacrifice and make his offerings to God on an individual basis. Now it appears that public worship is instituted, calling on the name of the Lord and also praying. And that's all prayer is, calling on the name of the Lord. This also indicates or implies that the physical presence of God is no longer a common thing with man. God has changed the way. He has changed the method in which men approach him, how they are allowed to make contact with him. And with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, on the day that they sinned, we read in chapter 3, that God came down to fellowship with man, and he's looking for Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. At that time, God approached man on a daily basis. But sin has caused Adam and Eve to hide from God the same way you and I would hide from God if not for Jesus. Adam and Eve are hiding from God. When I was a small boy, we lived in a little old farmhouse and it was on a slight hillside. The back of the house was lower than the front of the house on the slope. And so they built up brick pillars and set the house up on these brick pillars in the back. And this made for a cool playground for me as a young boy. And one day I asked my mother, can God see under the house? Her first words to me were, what have you done? <laughs> now, I don't remember what I had done, but it probably wasn't good. But anyway... I got the message, though, that I could not hide from God as a young boy. Adam and Eve, because of their sin, have been banished from Eden. Contact and fellowship with God for Adam and Eve has changed. No more cool of the evening walks with God. 
And next we find that Adam and Eve are just outside of Eden, along with Cain and Abel, and they're probably at an altar, a place of sacrifice, and they're there, and God would meet with them. But then we have the rebellion and hardness of heart, and God then no longer makes himself available at the altar. And now we drop down seven generations from Adam and Eve, and we read, then men begin to call on the name of the Lord. And we have what we call prayer being instituted into man's communication with God. Prayer is the way, the method that God has provided for us to express ourselves to him and for God to speak to us. Now, some of you understood Che's prayer, but most of us didn't. But Che wasn't praying to us. <laughs> che was praying to the Lord. About three weeks back, I asked Che, when he got back from Mexico, I said, I want you to open up in prayer, and I want you to pray in Spanish. He was a little reluctant, but I kept twisting his arm, and he finally agreed. But here's the part I didn't know. Che gave us the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer this morning. And I will be teaching on the Lord's Prayer a little later. Totally a work of the Spirit, and Che and I just get to be <laughs> spectators of it. So what is prayer? Basically, it's talking with God, communicating with God, and then, we don't always do this, it's giving God an opportunity to communicate with us. Too many times we get caught up in making our requests to God and not allowing God then the opportunity to talk to us. But prayer, when we express it from a believing heart, all it is is simply aligning my will with the will of God. That's all prayer is. It's just getting ourselves in line with God. And when we close in prayer, in the name of Jesus, we're giving God then veto power over our prayer. When Jesus walked the earth in the form of man, with all the limitations of man yet being truly God, he found it necessary to pray all the time, get alone and pray, and he did so on a regular, constant basis. So let's look at the Lord's Prayer, or what we call the Lord's Prayer, in Luke 11, and we'll look at verses 1 through 4. So turn to Luke 11. Jesus has ended his prayer. One of the disciples makes a request, and he says, Lord, teach us to pray like John, or John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And Jesus has something very interesting to say. But let's read that. Luke 11, 1 through 4. 
Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This really is called the Lord's Prayer, but it's really a prayer that Jesus taught the disciples. But this prayer is worth our study. It's worth our attention. We pray to God the Father in heaven, and we also honor God. We honor his name. And that's simply showing respect unto God. And before we get into our supplications or our requests, we are to pray for God's kingdom. Well, you may say, well, God's a God, and he can take care of his kingdom. Yes, he can. But he wants us, his people, praying for his kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And we might as well be up front with God because God's will will be done. Because that's only, the only way God acts is in with agreement to his will. But if you're anything like me, you've maybe tried to persuade God to do your will or to do my will. I oftentimes try to point out the logic to God if he will answer my prayer my way. I try to convince him how great it would be if he would just answer my prayer the way I want. And I know you people would never do that, but I do that. I've done it in the past, and here's the bad part. I will probably do it in the future. And that, my friend, is one of the reasons I always close a prayer with, in the name of Jesus. That isn't just a little cute catch-all, a little, you know, uh, simplistic closer in the name of Jesus. That is giving God the permission to cancel, ignore everything I have just said. If it's not in the will, if it's not in the character of Jesus. You've just nullified your own prayer if you've prayed outside of his will when you say, in Jesus' name. And I like that because many times I ask for the wrong things. But I've learned by experience to give God that permission to cancel my prayer. Praying in the name of Jesus is saying to God, if my prayer is contrary to your will, God, ignore it and everything else I have just said. Or you have the freedom, God, to tell me no. 
Now, if you've attended here for any length of time, you've heard me say this before. There are three ways in which God answers every prayer. Yes, we like that one. No, we can learn to like that one. But we never hear maybe. Because that would indicate me trying to work and earn God's favor, and we can't. But the other response God will sometimes give us is not now. Again, we like the yeses. We learn to like the noes through experience. And we appreciate and realize God loves us and he does know best. But let me explain the not now. You know, it's very possible for us to pray exactly in the will of God, but our timing can be absolutely off. Therefore, God can and he does say to us sometimes, not now. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, like me, you have probably heard people who quote scripture at God when they pray. That can be okay, but that can be not okay. <laughs> because if you're trying to force God to give you your will over his will, I don't care how much scripture you quote at him. He's going to do his will. That person who will quote scripture at God looking for their will to be done, they will hesitate to pray for God's will to be done. And when we pray contrary or out of the will of God, if we listen carefully, we just may hear, you do not know what you ask for. Jesus did say that to James and John, his disciples. They were asking for positions of power through their mother. Let my one son sit on your right hand and my other son on your left. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. As a mature believer... If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, if you have prayed any number of prayer, a no answer from God is every bit as welcome as a yes. Because you have received God's instructions. How many times have you, how many times have I looked back on a prayer or a situation and said to God, I'm so glad, so thankful you told me no. And unfortunately, we can travel through our Christian life, through our journey with the Lord, and we don't always make the wisest request or the best decisions when we pray. And I'm glad, truly glad, our loving God has told me no in prayer many times. When I was a young man, I would oftentimes pray for some young lady that I considered drop-dead gorgeous. Lord, would you give her to me as a girlfriend? 
No. <laughs> and you realized later that that was the best thing in the world he could have said to you was no. And how about you young ladies? You pray for Mr. Wright, that hunk of a man who turns out to be the blob that ate Tokyo, you know? <laughs> what if God gave you that guy? God has the right to say no because he loves you. And I'm very glad God has told me no in the past. God loves each and every one of his children. He cares for us, but he knows what's best for us. Hearing a no, it can disappoint you at the moment. But show some maturity, exercise faith, and thank God that he knows best and he's truthful with you and he will tell you no. Sometimes a no answer can save multitudes of disasters. Not long ago, I was talking to a young man. He was only in his 40s. <laughs> and he was a bachelor desperately praying for a wife. And I said, you know, there's something worse than being lonely. You could be married to the wrong woman. And that's true. That's worse than being lonely, believe me. Moving on. In the disciples' prayer, we hear them praying for their daily bread. We are to daily ask God for provisions for that day. We're not allowed to bank our prayers and ask God for provisions for next week, next month, or next year. No, no. Today, He provides. Daily prayer for our daily needs. That keeps us in fellowship with God on a regular basis. And then we're to pray for forgiveness of our sins. But there's a condition there that Jesus tells us about. We are to be forgiving also. As a believer, you're required to forgive those who have done you wrong, who have sinned against you, for your own sins to be forgiven. And we've all had people that do us wrong. And we need to forgive them. I don't think there's anyone here that can say they haven't been done wrong. But we need to let it go and forget. How often do you think God's feelings have been hurt by sinful believers? We commit a sin. We hurt. We grieve the Holy Spirit with our sins. And then we come before the Lord and we ask him to forgive us. And he's gracious and he does forgive us. But we're also to forgive others who sin against us. And we are to forget. 
the same way God chooses to forget your sins and my sins. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I forgive them, but I can't forget. <laughs> You're not really forgiving, sorry. You're going through some kind of motion, but that is not forgiveness. True forgiveness requires a choosing of your will to forget. That takes away ammo for a future disagreement with someone. When you cannot say to a person who has done you wrong in the past, you cannot say to them, oh yeah, but I remember when you. No, that removes that. You can't drag up the dirty laundry. <laughs> You've got to choose to forget it. God chooses to forget our sins, and he says, you are too. And then we're to pray that God would remove temptation from us. Have you ever had a moment of clarity when you realized how God protects you from temptation? I am convinced, fully convinced, that I am capable of any and all sins if I were simply put in the wrong situation. That's a hard thing to realize sometimes. When we are tempted, and each of us are, stop and pray that God would help you through that moment and remove the temptation. But you know what we do with temptation? Too many times we hit the replay button. Hey, <laughs> that was sort of enticing. <laughs> Let's hear that again. <laughs> and we go through the whole scenario in our mind one more time. We are to pray and ask God to bring that thought under captivity. We are told, take every thought captive. That's not just good words. That's a practice that is to be in our life. We have discovered, I'm sure you have too, that the more you think on any subject, the more like you are, likely you are to fall prey to that subject or temptation. If it dwells on your mind, pretty soon you find yourself living it out. Take those temptations, take those thoughts captive. The final petition of this prayer is one that I'm not sure we take seriously. Let me just state up front, as believers, as Christians, we have an opponent who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Why else would the Lord tell us, pray to be delivered from the evil one? More and more often, I find myself asking God, God, would you rebuke the evil one from the people at Calvary Chapel, from our fellowship, and from me? You put him in his proper place. You stop him from coming against your people. 
those that love you, Lord. We do, as believers, have an enemy of our souls. And one of our weapons against him is prayer. God has given us all that we need to defeat the enemy. He's given us his word. When Jesus was tempted, what did he do to Satan? He quoted scripture. That's a model for us. We can know God's word, and it is a weapon against him. And then we are to pray. Ask God to give you victory over the enemy. And then we need to pray for victory in all areas of our life. So, let me get you to stand and we will close in prayer and we will pray. It's always hard to pray after you've talked about prayer. <laughs> so, if you would pray with me, please. Father God, we've talked about prayer. And Lord, it's so easy to be convicted of not praying enough. But here we are, your people approaching you in this avenue of prayer. Lord, we open ourselves up to you. You know us inside and out. You know where we're weak. You know where we have some strength. You know we need your Holy Spirit to help us. So, Lord, we would ask, we would petition you, we would pray that you keep us from the evil one. Lord, we would pray that we would not enter into temptation. We would pray that you would be our provider, give us our daily bread. And Lord, we also honor you as our Lord and our God. And we do pray for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done. And we do so and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.